After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everybody, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. Happy Top 100 Day. Woo-hoo. Baseball America Top 100 Prospects list is live at BaseballAmerica.com. It's a laborious process. We're waiting for the new BaseballAmerica.com, but... In the meantime, J.J. has a lot of uh, coding still to do and a lot of rollout to do at BaseballAmerica.com. So because of that, we're going to have a little bit of a tighter podcast. Jim Cowles is on jury duty, and I failed to record a podcast with him. So Jim's on jury duty. You're getting a shorter podcast. We're going to put ourselves on the clock. Uh, It's not exactly PTI, but J.J., we're going first 10 minutes. The first 10 minutes of this podcast is about our top 10. Let's let's focus on the top 10. And – did you have any questions, J.J.? Did you have a hard time filling out your top ten? I, I felt like between all the people who contributed to the Baseball America Top 100 here in the staff, um, that we had a pretty consensus top four. The top four is easy. I don't know if I'd say we had a consensus top ten, but it felt like it, it, it does feel to me that there's a pretty consensus top ten. I, I feel like I, I'm impressed with Zach Wheeler. I like Zach Wheeler. But I feel like our top ten is a pretty – I feel like there's a, a, a decent-sized line there in our top ten in terms of ceiling. I'd, I'd argue nine. I'd okay. argue, to me, the top nine I, – I guess the way I put it is, is to me, the top nine – Which is per, Profar, Bundy, Tavares, Myers, Fernandez, Miller, Cole, Bogart, Sano. Those top nine, to me, were a pretty clear step as far as, okay – at the top nine, it was pretty easy for me to go down those. When you get to ten at Byron Buxton, as talented as Byron Buxton is, I could understand completely going a gazillion different ways at number ten because you are talking about a guy who's yet to play full season ball. As athletically talented as he is, there's if you wanted to say, hey, to me, you know, Mike Zanino, who's number seventeen on this list, or Javier Baez, who's number sixteen on this list, you want to argue those ten over Byron Buxton? I could see the argument. If you I, wouldn't, want to, I wouldn't argue. I don't think. I don't see how you could argue Zanino over Buxton because Buxton was the top player on our draft list coming into the year. Coming, I mean, coming going into the draft, and he was clearly ahead of Zanino. And while Zanino did get to Double A and played in the fall league and all those kind of things, he's still the same guy. And Buxton's still that same guy. So I, I would say that there was a in the, the way we reflect the consensus in the industry, right. and that's what we're aiming to do. Right. That Buxton would be inarguably ahead of Zanino. Okay, I can I can give you that. I mean, Baez, okay. Baez is a is a different one because if you want to argue that Javier Baez is a higher offensive ceiling and he does it in the infield, I'll I'll give right. you that one. Okay, and that's so that's what to me stands out. Like Miguel Sano's at nine, and even if you worry about the swing and miss and all the the power and just the the tools are such, 
I, I don't think you're you really there's anyone in that 11 through you know 20 range that you be able to to me easily argue over him. Do we that, not do we not have Baez ahead of Sano in the Midwest League? I thought maybe it was Sano one and then Baez, but I don't remember. That that's what to, to me. I I actually. Uh, I feel like you could make those arguments, but to me, Buxton was our top draft guy. Mm-hmm. We're going to go on ceiling. That's oh, yeah, why no. I, th- I think he's a good cutoff there. I, I like him at ten. And, and I'm just saying, right? And that, that's a, to, to me. Um, and a couple things, a couple other things stand out to me in these uh, with the top ten. First off, there's some news with Jerickson Profar at number one. He's declined to play in the World Baseball Classic. I think you know where JJ and I stand on that one, <laughs> and this goes to a column that I don't believe has been posted online. No, it's not yet. yet. We're gonna roll it we'll, out with we'll, some we'll more roll roll baseball coverage. That's that's fine. Um, the, the, t- we're recording this on Tuesday. Tomorrow is when rosters have to be set, and Jerks and Profar just pulled out of the World Baseball Classic. The short version of this is, and I'm about to I'm about to work blue, as old Kevin Goldstein would say, but I'm gonna try to rein myself in. It's a joke that Jerks and Profar is not playing in the World Baseball Classic. Instead of auditioning for what looks like a part-time role with the Texas Rangers, world, this is where Commissioner Selig would be like, hey, Texas Rangers, I'm trying to grow this freaking event. We're trying to make some money here. This is good for me. This is good for you because it will help Jerks and Profar develop by playing in the World Baseball Classic. It's good for everybody. And instead, he's going to go to spring training camp and try to be a part-time player with the Texas Rangers. Everything that's wrong about the World Baseball Classic is embodied in the fact that Jerks and Profar is not playing. I'll get off the soapbox, but that just that just kills me. And Oscar Tavares might play; he might play for Canada still. Um, if only if awesome. only he were if only he threw right-handed, he'd play shortstop. <laughs> because did you see John Palmarosi's story that yes, Russell Martin is going to still try to play shortstop for Team Canada? Oh, Canada! <laughs> but I mean, so JJ, did you have any? How, did you debate number one uh, with any amount of time in your own personal top one hundred? Mm, not really that much. Um, I mean, obviously, you can make a case for Bundy. You can make a case for Tavares. But to me, when you talk about the age, the fact that he's not just a shortstop, he's not just playing the position. You know, right. position. Jerks and Profar is a legit shortstop. I think you're even going to see, like, when you say see what he is now, I think he could be a, a very solid big leaguer this year as essentially a 20-year-old. Right. And I think when you just go down the road and, and – Think you know we see the the whippy bat speed. It's a whippy bat. There's power there. It's not because he's muscular. It's because right. he he just has a beautiful swing. You see that. You're talking about really one of these rare, very rare creatures, which is a legit shortstop who could be an impact bat. That 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 is that's a, you just uh, summed it up. A rare creature. <laughs> that's Jerks and Profar. Um, Dylan Bundy is a rare creature. Um, did you have any debate in your own mind? Because I agree with everything you said about Profar. Did you have any debate in your mind over uh, Bundy as the top pitcher? And I think the bigger question seems to be, as a staff, who that number two pitcher right. is. Yeah, to me, when it comes to the number one one, it's it's just it's Bundy. And the guys who are in that debate for number two, I'd have a real trouble arguing that they're better than Bundy. I, I just right. can't. I really can't argue it. I'm with you on that. That's the way that I figured it out. I, I thought that Bundy was clearly the, the best pitcher. I think it's amazing. I, I can't remember. That this is one thing that uh, we'll have to research. Um, this I, I don't know why this is just striking me now. It would have been good to research this before we went to press. When's the last time we had guys this young at number one and two? Because usually the last guys year. at number one and two. Really? Trout and Harper. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Hello. 
<laughs> Hello, John. It, that's that feels like that's a different trend. I, the guys I always think of a number one are guys who are like college draft guys who've been right. I mean, in, in very recent years, a lot of times like our one and two are like Dice K and Alex Gordon. Well, the funny thing is, this last year was younger because they Harper's were younger. Young, yeah, and, uh, and Trout slimmer, was this age and slimmer at least by Mike Trout. I can't get over how big Mike Trout looked. Mike Trout. Like that picture of Mike Trout the other day was like was like a you know uh, Dana Carvey as as uh, as Khan seeing Fat Sulu. I mean, right. it really was almost that jarring to see 240 pound Mike Trout. But I digress. But yeah, that that's a great trend. I think that our number one and two prospects are 20 year olds or teenagers like they we're were last big year. League. We're, big we're league talking big, not, have played in the big leagues. Both, you're right. Both big leaguers as teenagers last year. Um, how about the debate for number two pitchers? We're running low on time in this segment. Uh, Jose Fernandez, Shelby Miller, Garrett Cole, and I guess Wheeler and Skaggs at 11 and 12. Uh, could you make the case for any of those guys as the number two guy? Yeah. I, feel, I feel like Skaggs probably is not in that debate for I, me. I think he's not because he's a little less power. Um, right. But any of the others, sure. If you want to make the case for Garrett Cole, Garrett Cole has the best stuff of any of these guys. Garrett Cole has better stuff than Dylan Bundy. If you want to talk about pure stuff, but no, I, I, to me, Jose Fernandez when, is the combination of, of feel for pitching and stuff and results because what the you know the season he had last year, right? You put that all together. I mean, he he and Garrett Cole were in the same league for a good bit of last year. Yeah, and most of the scouts who saw both of them said, "Yeah, I'll take Fernandez." And I don't even think they were. F- you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't even think that age was a factor because there are questions for some people. The scouts and the people I've talked to who saw him in high school in Florida who question his age and right. think that he's older than but, his listed age of 20. But the thing, yeah, it, it was on stuff. It was on aptitude right. for pitching and, and all that. Now, I, I do want to ask you, we jumped over it, 3-4 Oscar Tavares, Will Myers. To me, that's where you get a very interesting debate, you know, as far as I think Profar had pulled himself – uh, a notch above because he's a shortstop right. as the number one position prospect in this year's class. Tavares Myers was that tough for you at all? It really wasn't because I think you know what we did this year was we broke it down by the grades. We listed their grades and uh, the hit tool uh, is is the separator. And Tavares we have as a seventy five and and Myers is a sixty. And uh, I do think Will Myers has more power, but I think Oscar Tavares is more usable. I, I'm not putting down Will Myers in any way. I'm, I'm a Will Myers fan. Um, talk about whippy. This guy has whip. This is not a guy who does it with strength either. Same mm-hmm. thing with Oscar Tavares. Mm-hmm. He's a bigger version. And, and that, if I were to choose, uh, if I were to pick Will Myers in this debate, it would be because he's bigger and because I have more confidence in the bigger guy hitting for power and having that kind of impact. But Oscar, uh, Will, Will Myers has been that kind of guy. I guess if you put them together, also they're Oscar Myers. Which is, <laughs> I, I just thought of that one too. Uh, not that it's funny. Uh, Will Myers, to me, has never put together the average and the power and, the, and with, the mod, with the modest swing and miss. Mm-hmm. When he hit for more power in 2012, it was with more swing and miss and with a little bit less hit ability. The previous year, with a, you know, he had a, a lost year. 2010, his first full year, it was hitting for average, less swing and miss, and the power was being projected for mm-hmm. him. So I like the fact that he's shown the ability to hit for average. I like the fact that he's shown the ability to hit for power. I'm waiting to, to for him to be – I think he would have been number one on my list if he showed the ability to do both, hit for average the way he did in 2010 and hit for power the way he did in 2012 because I think his offensive ceiling is as high as anybody on this list. That means it's time to go on to the next topic, J.J. There okay. goes 10 minutes. Uh, I didn't even plan that, uh, that that well. J.J., some controversial guys. I think I wanted to go in this 11-30 to 30, uh, group. 
Uh, so that we both have a couple of personal cheese balls in this list, and one of them for us is Christian Yelich. We both are. We both are, are bullish on Christian Yelich, and yet I think he ended up in the right spot. I think both you and I probably had him a little bit higher on our personal lists, but I think at 15 it seems about right. No, it does seem about right because there are. You also have to look a little bit at what's going to happen with a guy. Uh, Christian Yelich, there is a question whether he's going to end up being a center fielder because. Right of the Marlins situation. The Marlins right. tried to trade for Jake Marisnik. There's now going to be kind of a, a long-running competition to see which one's going to be a center fielder, which one's going to be a corner. Christian Yelich can handle I mean, he can hit well enough to handle a corner, no problem. At the same time, though, you put him in a corner, he's still a valuable, he's still a very valuable player, but he's not as valuable as he would be if he's also running down fly balls in center field. To me, 15 sounds about right. Like, you compare him to Javier Baez. I think Javier Baez who is a shortstop, right. could be every bit offensively equal of Christian Yelich. I think Christian Yelich is going to have a better hit tool. Right. I think Baez's power uh, could be better. I think Baez, I'm not trying, again, to minimize Yelich's impact because I think he will be an impact player, but I think Javier Baez has a chance to be a, 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 an MVP. Es- I'm not sure I think Christian Yelich has MVP. Especially because last year he you're, – you're coming – a year in, you're now saying with Javier Baez, you know, maybe he could be a shortstop. Whereas right. coming out of the draft, it was much more of, oh, this guy's not a shortstop. That said, Javier Baez, I'm looking in our top 20. Is there anybody other than maybe Miguel Sano who has more boomer bust than Javier Baez? I'm pretty confident Javier Baez is going to be a good big leaguer. But the energy and the effort that he plays with the game, the game with the energy is a positive. The effort seems to be, I don't even know if I should say he plays with high effort, but he just plays the game so hard. And he also, uh, you know, Jim stat where he had like 10 hit by pitches and 57 games in the Midwest league. And that opposing teams were not afraid to, uh, if he showed them up, which was apparently frequent, they were not afraid to retaliate. Right. That kind of thing will keep you off the field. Mm -hmm. And that kind of thing, seems to keep guys from fulfilling their full potential. I mean, when you the comp with him is clearly Gary Sheffield. And, you know, Gary Sheffield should have been a Hall of Fame caliber player, and he's not. He did not have a Hall of Fame right. caliber career. But he I, had Hall of Fame tools, and he wasn't a Hall of Fame player. You know what, though? I'll take Gary sign, Sheffield. Yeah, I was going to say, if, if you're Javier sure. Baez, sign me up for that career. Sure. Oh, no 15 doubt. 15 great years in the big leagues, you know. Yeah, that said, he, he did leave you wanting more, didn't he? I mean, didn't you feel like Gary Sheffield should have been a third baseman for most of his career? Sure, but at the same time, I, I, I guess I'm looking at it with the ha- glass half full, which is he was one of the better hitters in baseball for he was for 15 years. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I wouldn't take the Gary, <laughs> Gary Sheffield, but the, the this seems like a guy who, and I, I phrased that wrong, um, but this is a guy who seems like that. That's certainly a, a, a that's a boom. That's a boom. But the bust could be. I, I don't know what the bust would be like. A, a lesser version but, of Ricky Weeks. But the, the, the best but, way to put it is, is that we're not even makeup. actually – how you describe it, I'm actually arguing he's not a boom bust guy because the bust you're arguing is that you come away wanting more. But you're all right. the guys that you think – right. along the same lines, Justin Upton, when the year he was in the Midwest League, there was talk of, you know, I saw him not run out a lot of balls and all that. I don't but, think that's the issue with Javier Baez. No, the issue seems to be that the makeup is will he continue to, to try to be – will he do everything in his power to be the best player? Right, can be, but but, but yeah, that's well, that not, that was the Mike, that was the argument with Justin Upton. The argument with Justin Upton is but that was an effort issue as opposed which, to like uh, effort on the field. Javier Baez, it sounds like it's a makeup issue, like right. maturity and. But, but what I'm, but my point being, be, being a good teammate. But my point being, in both those cases, what you end up saying is is that you might end up being frustrated, like man, this guy could be even better. 
But the guys we're thinking of in those cases, we're not saying You're that right. guy didn't make it because of it. That guy wasn't a big league regular because of it. We're talking about, yeah, that guy we thought was going to be an MVP, and instead he's a solid big league regular. You're right. That's not a bust. You're right. To if me, this, like, if, of if the – of the bust. A, if he has a Gary Sheffield career, he probably should be in the top 10. If, if the, of the bust on here in the top 20, and I love him, but the, the two guys to me is, is that Billy Hamilton, if Billy Hamilton's hit tool isn't, you know, there's, that's where the question still is. It's like, okay, is he potentially going to get overpowered because he doesn't have enough power so that pitchers basically just rear back and, okay, high fastballs, is he ever going to hit them enough, with enough authority to where – He's still going to be a useful big league player, right. but he may not be the impact guy that his speed would seem to indicate. And the other one is, is and you know, kind of along the lines of Javier Baez, Trevor Bauer, who the questions are very much, they're, they're makeup questions again, but the makeup questions are, is he going to make adjustments right. to the big leagues? Or is he going to not need to make adjustments because his stuff's so good that he doesn't have to? Or if not, is that going to be a problem? And in terms of being a bad teammate, I mean, the question is, it's one thing to be a bad teammate when you're a teenager in the Midwest League. It's another thing to do it when you're in the major leagues. It's another. There it's a are, very big difference. There's not many guys out there who have really had their catcher from the year before when you're traded basically go out of their way to say, you know, look, here's all the problems I had with this guy. And I have not also heard the Javier Baez, uh, you know, rap, uh, track to yeah. get back at all the Midwest League managers who ordered that their pitchers throw at him, whereas we've heard the the Trevor Bauer one. And uh, along the same line, I, you, I look forward to Trevor sticking to pitching, which I, I think he does. I think he focuses on pitching. Uh, along but, those lines, if you said who in this top thirty has the two guys who have the most bust potential to me, and that doesn't mean I don't like them, but Archie Bradley at twenty uh, at twenty five. He could – I mean, we, we, do, we have a risk factors thing that subscribers can read that's going along with this. Absolutely. The, the question with him is, is, is he going to throw enough strikes? That track record, that was one of the best things. Matt Eddy, by the way, who Steph, had, Steph Ford has some really tremendous uh, content in this issue and for subscribers online. Um, you know, we wrote about walk rates, guys who had walk rates uh, in excess of five per nine innings. And, uh, you know, the track record for pitchers like that, it's not great. It's really not that great. And the guys who – uh, we have, what, three of those guys in our top 100 mm-hmm. in Archie Bradley, Aaron Sanchez, and Kyle Crick, all low-class A pitchers who walked more than five per nine innings. Uh, they all had strikeout rates of 9.7 or, or higher. Um, and Matt did find in the last 15, 20 years some pitchers who had walk rates that high who had success. Some of the guys who did that are really surprising, like Paul Bird. I never striking. expected to see Paul Bird in this, exactly. Or Matt Kinney, who I never thought of as a big-time power arm. Um, but most of those guys did not have big-time success. Kerry Wood is the best example, and obviously there was some, a lot of arm trouble there. And, these and guys, Homer Bailey is, is now a no-hitter. He's putting it together, but it he's took him it's been a years. long time. It took him three or four years um, to really uh, break through and have the kind of year that he had in 2012. To me, the guy on that list that jumps out like if you want the cautionary tale is Pat Mahomes, who yeah. was a big-time prospect, yep. and it never clicked. He still had a useful big-league career, but it never clicked because, really, because his control never. And the thing is, none of those guys had the only two guys. The two guys who had the best success were the two guys who had the strikeout rate of nine point seven or higher. Bailey and Wood, which is why I like Bradley Sanchez and Crick ranked where they are. But I, I, if there is a guy in that top thirty, the real boomer bust guy, really, you're right, is not have your bias. I would say it's Archie Bradley. Other guy in there, you know, 
and obviously, uh, this is a good critique, actually, I saw of the podcast, uh, I think it was on Baseball Think Factory, about how we overvalue prospects, and that's what we do. And I think we're always fighting our own urges to do that, but that's the world we inhabit, mm-hmm. the scouting and player development world. Uh, that's where we discuss. Um, there are a lot of injury guys in this top 30, J.J. <laughs> number I mean, 30 is a big one. Number 30 is a big one. I would say numbers 23 and 24 are big ones. Travis Darno has missed parts of each of the last two seasons with injuries. It was a hand. It was a knee. Knee injury for a catcher, that's not good. That's not no. a good thing to have for anybody, but no. especially for a catcher. And Kyle Zimmer is less of one, but Kyle Zimmer did have postseason elbow surgery. I mean, I, I would rather that he didn't have postseason elbow surgery. That's but also we, if, if we got a minute left and we're talking injuries, we got to mention Anthony Rendon, which yes. is like if you said who's also another boom bust guy in this. If Anthony Rendon's healthy, and his legs have not calcified into something that <laughs> you know does not allow him to bend his ankles, then then you're talking about uh, an elite bat, you know, who who really has. I would the potential. take him over Michael. All things being equal, if he was healthy, you'd take him over Michael in a heartbeat. Right, absolutely. And I'm, I'm, I'm probably, you know, the, the lightest on Anthony Rendon, and I'd agree with you on that. Yeah. But when you're talking about a guy who really at this point has been fully healthy for a full season once in the past four years, five years? No, not five. I mean, 2010 was He had a serious injury. Yeah, I was going to say, he had one year. I'm saying one good – he had one year basically free from injury. His freshman year. And, oh, no, I wouldn't even say that. I don't even think his freshman year he was free from injury because he was coming off something in high, his high school senior year. I forget what that was. Okay, so you have high but, school I mean, senior year. But I'm not even – yeah. the fact is that his season that was laid out for him, he played every game. And then he did the same right. thing his sophomore year. Yeah, he got hurt in the summer. But his sophomore year when his team, when Rice was asking him – to go out there and carry us and, and be the best player in the country, he was, and he did all that. So we can we can go over a little bit for Anthony yeah. Rendon. But that's right. We, we, that's just a point. So we can move on to our, our step three, which is really I think step three is is the rest of the list. I wanted to ask you, John, first off, cheese balls. So give me two guys from this who jump out to you. It's like, you know what? I really like that guy. Well, um, one who stands out is Oswaldo Arcia at 41. Uh, I think he is a profile right fielder. I, I don't think there's anything that Oswaldo Arcia – there's nothing that you want out of a right fielder that Oswaldo Arcia does not do with the exception of speed. He doesn't have blazing speed. Um, that said, uh, I, I, in every other way, to me, he is a profile right field guy. Uh, I think he's going to be in the big leagues in 2013 in the second half. Uh you know, we're going to, I think, have a podcast uh, coming up soon where you and I talk a lot about the Minnesota Twins and their interesting offseason. Uh, to me, Oswaldo R.C. is part of how the Twins turn things around. They do have, in terms of their top ten prospects, are as impactful as any team in the game. I like the offseason trades they made uh, in terms of the prospects. I did not like the offseason moves they made at the major league level. But when they turn things around, when they're winning again in Minnesota, Oswaldo R.C. is going to be part of that. That's that's one of my that's one of the first guys for me on the okay. I'll on give you one while list. you're figuring out another one. To, to me, and I, I've talked about this on the podcast before. Number fifty-one, Gregory Polanco. I, I just think if you're asking me, describe you know like uh, uh, a class A guy, <laughs> what I want to look, what I want want to see. Right. Gregory Polanco pretty much is that. He did that last year. He can run. I think the hit tool's pretty advanced for his age. I know he made a big jump last year. That's the only concern you could possibly have to me is, is the, the legit concern is to see a guy who kind of came a little bit out of nowhere. Not that the Pirates didn't think this guy had some potential, but he never hit like that. Last year, he hit all year. Right. And then, you know, I, he's got a chance to be kind of that center fielder who covers a massive amount of range, runs well, hit, power. 
he's got it all if it all if he can just kind of keep if he can keep developing make half the jump he did from the year before to last year right. over the next two years he's in really good shape he's a pretty exciting player both uh, a lot of the pirates top guy, top end guys are really exciting i mean oh. Garrett Cole Josh Bell who didn't make the top 100 Alan Hansen you just kind of wonder if it's for all the attention that the Pirates have pay, paid and all the money they've paid out in scouting and player development, it just seems like this, the number of uh, guys they're counting on is smaller than you'd hope it would be. When you compare their depth to other organizations like, say, the Rangers, um, really, it's to a lot of organizations. Well, I, I think that's that's the that's the question with the with the with the Pirates. But we like star power, and they have potential star power. They do. So, so. Um, one of the other guys, I guess, I'd focus on, and, and uh, I, I think it's—I think he's just a fascinating guy because I don't think, even though he's advanced the AAA, I don't think we know really what he is. Is Nick Franklin? Uh, did you read this article the other day? That uh, I think I forget which Seattle writer did this article, or Nick Franklin's on a six thousand calorie per day diet to try to increase and maintain his playing weight. That by August of last year, he was down to 162 pounds. Ooh. And he had, he's had a bout with mono. This is a guy who just – he's just not a guy that I think there's anything definite about, even at number 79 on our top 100. And this is not the first year he's been on our top 100. But let's just track this minor league career. First-round pick, back of the first-round pick, and it was panned. Not necessarily by us. But there were some outlets that really panned that pick of Nick mm-hmm. Franklin and criticized it from the get-go that it was a reach. I don't remember where we had him. I remember I thought we had him in the top 50, maybe top 70 in our draft top 100 that year. I don't think we thought he was a massive reach, but I think we thought we would say he was an overdraft. Mm-hmm. But he hit from the get-go, had a monster Midwest, Midwest League season that was really kind of hard to put in context. Frankly, the last middle infielder we'd seen have a have a – Midwest League season like he had was like Ian Kinsler when he just tore that league up, hit 400, mm-hmm. and rocketed to the big leagues. Um, I still ultimately see Nick Franklin as an Ian Kinsler type, an offensive middle infielder. And if he's a shortstop, he's an adequate defender, but you're always looking for more than adequate. Right, I, I don't think, yeah. But I don't think – but he, but if he was playing last August at 162 pounds, J.J., how is he supposed to play shortstop when he's physically diminished? He just fascinates me because he's a switch hitter with power who's really unbalanced to one side. He, he's much better from the left side than the right side. There's so much unfinished with Nick Franklin, yet we have a pretty long track record of knowing that he could be an offensive middle infielder. I think there's still upside with him, and there's still so much to figure out with a guy who's reached AAA. He fascinates me. I'm on the pro Nick Franklin side. I, you bring up an interesting point there I did want to kind of point out to people because I know when we get this list, so we're going to have a chat. We're going to start, I think, at 2 p.m. today. Yep. But – one of the questions we're going to get, I'll just take a guy like, for example, Jake Odorizzi's 92 on this list. Jake Odorizzi's ranked higher before, and he had a good season last year. And so I know we're going to get a question, which is, why does Jake Odorizzi drop? Right. He had a really good year. Well, at it's, not dub- a top, it's not a top 25 college poll. It's not like he had a good weekend. Right. It's not, yeah, it's a good, he had a good year. There would not seem to have been any new evidence that would make an argument that he should drop. Right. And the, argu- and the explanation is, is this. When a guy's in A-ball – it's results, but you're also projecting. You're right. also saying, okay, here's where he is now, and if he continues to improve these things, then he's this. As you move up the levels, one of the big reasons you drop is is you have, you know, okay, well, that you get exposed to something. If we just you have know. so much more information on right. Jake like, now. Right. Willie Peralta, you know, may move down a little bit because he got, a, he got a little exposed last year. It's like, okay, 
ceiling may not be exactly as, as much as had been hoped at one point because, you know, he's having a little more trouble. Joe Cotarizzi didn't really have that, but the argument, really what works with Cotarizzi is, is you talk to people, you've talked to scouts now, and there's a lot more scouts who, scouts who before were like, you know, this guy could end up being a 2-3. You, you know, they talk about his, they, they make some granky comparisons and all. You, the athleticism was really an asset for him at the lower levels that made scouts project that there was going to be more there with all his pitches. Right, and the reality is, is that he, as he's climbed the ladder, there's not really more there. It's still good stuff. It's still solid, but you hear a lot more guys saying 4-5 because they go, you know what? The stuff is no better than what I saw. He's just not taking that next step. I mean, I think we know more about him. I don't even know if he's been exposed as much as... I don't think because he's been successful. Right. So I think it's just more a fact that there was projection that was built into those rankings in the past, and that he has not fulfilled in terms of the quality. Really, let's let's face it, it's with the fastball. People want to see more fastball. So now when you're comparing him to somebody, he's really more Alex Cobb than he is, I don't know, Zach Greinke, that's for sure. So if he's more Alex Cobb, he's more back of the rotation guy. JJ, let's talk about some of the guys before we run out of time. I think we're we're down to, what, uh, three minutes here? There were a couple guys that we really debated at the back of this top 100. We're down to three minutes. One of them was Hawk Julie. He wound up at number 90. Um, the the summary of Hawk Julie, why he's in the top 100, and I would say that Jim Callis was his biggest defender, mm-hmm. is that this is a shortstop with speed. He can play the position defensively, and that the floor is pretty good for Hawk Julie. At the very least, guys, an everyday shortstop, even if he doesn't give you a lot of offense, he's like an eight-hole hitter. I think that's the way it, Jim was a, arguing it, that this is like an Alcides Escobar type, and Alcides Escobar even had a really good, better offensive season in 2012 than any of any of us would have projected. That's the thumbnail yeah. sketch, I think, of Jim's, which I think is defensible. I, I, would, I, would argue, I would argue he's not as good as Alcides Escobar was. If you even rewound the clock. Up, defensively, or if you round the, rewound the clock, I think there was even a little bit more hit tool. I don't think so. I don't think you could say that for Alcides Escobar. He had never had an offensive season like, like Hock Lee had in 2011. Mm. I don't think he ever, not in the minor leagues. I think his, that's a little I think, that, I think that's a little revisionist history on your part. I was going to say, I, his, his one year he had, he had one year, I think his second year in the FSL. I mean, again, you know, it was, it was an average derived season, but so was Hockey Lee's largely. Hockey Lee does have a little more pop, I think. But I think. Yeah, I don't think we're, I don't think we're agreeing on that one. Well, the point is, I don't think you and I agreed that Hockey Lee. Yeah, I don't think either of us. The way to put it, though, is yes, could he be a big league regular? Well, the Rays, I mean, how many. Reed, Reed Brignac would qualify as at some point he was a big league regular. And yeah, but those guys had completely different minor league profiles. Completely different. Reed Brignac, like no, his first year in AAA, Brig- had 30 doubles and I, you know, I know, looked but like an I'm, offensive player. But what I'm saying is, is Reed Brignac ended up like at the big league level. I don't know what happened for him between AAA and the big leagues, but he right. lost his his bat got lost in the trip. He became a 20 hitter. I mean, he was the worst hitter, one of the worst hitters in Major League Baseball and, and the last my, two years. The point I'm making is, is that even with that, because he was a shortstop, he still he got, got plenty of at bats. He did get chances. Um, the other players that we kind of debated, um, Leonis Martin was a late add to the top 100. That was really more – he and Hawk Julie are really more kind of floor than mm-hmm. ceiling kind of players, to use that uh, vernacular. Um, I would say Delano DeShields and Roman Quinn at 99 and 100 uh, were Those guys where we kind of shot the moon kind of guys. Um, and I, I think we also both felt – I know that you felt he's at number 95, but that Bruce Rondone could rank a lot higher. Then maybe he ended um, up. I, I like him about there, though. To be honest with you, I, I do think that he could be a big, you know, one of the more impact guys in 2013 on this list. I'll put I'll put it this way: 
I would take Bruce Rondon over Rodas Vizcaino. I know Rodas Vizcaino has much better breaking ball and uh, this and that and the other, but he can't stay healthy, he can't and stay he's healthy. not going to pitch in 2012. So they, I mean, I'm not trying to pick our list apart. I'm just saying this is right, no, this is what happens with a consensus list. The, the guy Daniel Corsino's 94 on it. I'd have Corsino higher. I think that that guy. Again, you talk about floor. I, I think his floor is, is a very solid reliever, but I think he's got a pretty good chance to be a starter. I did like all of our uh, – we're, we're under a minute on this part of it, and we have to get back to uh, actually putting the list on the on the website and uh, putting the podcast on the website and, and, and all that good stuff. Yeah, there we go. I, I do I, – I probably need a new ringtone. I do love Bowie, but I probably need a new ringtone. Um, but I'm trying to look, JJ, at our, our complete top, 50, top 150s. Um, who was the guy that you ha- – was there a guy on your list uh, to wrap this up that was that you had pretty high on your top 100 who didn't even make it at all that you were maybe a little bit bummed didn't make it? I don't know about bummed. Um, Alberto Mondesi, I didn't even have it in my 100 myself. I-, I think that he'll be, barring a collapse, I think he'll be you know pretty prominent on this list next year. But that, I mean, that kind of leads me – to me, that's the topic, the one last topic I want to talk about, which is getting a chance to talk about David Dahl. I love David Dahl. I, I, you know, that – I think he's got a chance to be a, a very <laughs> a stud prospect. Oh yeah, we, we didn't. I didn't give you your second cheese ball. I but, apologize. But the thing about it is, is that when you look at it, one thing that we talked about in this meeting was, is that we did not want to get overheated too much over guys who had great years in rookie ball. Right. And the reason for that is, is that we have a long track record in our minds. You know, we when you think about it, of there have been a number of guys who come out and have a great like to destroy rookie or short season ball. And, the, you know, it's the easiest one to destroy. Right. Even I'm if you are – I'm looking at guys who are in our top 100 uh, still, like Gary Sanchez and Martin Perez, are guys who tore up short season ball and rocketed up our prospect list that we probably got a little overheated about. I, I think of one – Joe Panic. I think, made it last year, didn't he? Or did he I not? I don't remember. But Joe Panic. even if he didn't, Joe Panic was a guy who – solid prospect. He destroyed – I mean, he moved up a lot. He was already a, considered a pretty solid prospect. But if you looked at where he ranked at the end of that year compared to where he ranked coming into the draft that year, he had moved up because he hit like 400. Right. He did. He had a tremendous debut in the Northwest League. No and, doubt. And, and you, you get a little further away from that, look back at it and go, you know what? It was a very good debut. His hit tool ceiling and all probably is a little lower than what it looked like when he was in the Northwest League. Yeah, I guess so. I think the main thing is that, for me, the reports out of the Northwest League were that Joe Panic might have a chance. Because, yeah, he didn't make last year's top 100. Okay. I, I would have been shocked if Joe Panic had made our top 100. Because he was number 67 right. coming into the year on our draft list, and he got drafted like 29th overall. But those are two. That, that's actually not a bad thing to uh, throw out here at the end of the podcast. With our draft guys, we did try. Not always. We weren't uh, doctrinaire Dr. about it or dogmatic about it, but we did try to – if a guy was ranked a higher on our draft list in June, we tried to maintain that order in our top 100. We weren't going to be, again, bowled over by the fact that David Dahl tore up the Pioneer League just because, and count that against, say, Courtney Hawkins, who tore up the Pioneer League for like, or the Appy League for like two weeks and then got promoted to high A. You know, we don't want to hold that against right. Courtney Hawkins. The, the talent is still the talent. Right. The best way to put it is, is that what we asked is, is, okay, if this guy was ranked ahead of this guy and we had him ranked differently when they were when the draft was coming out. We needed a compelling The question is, is, okay, so why is that? There were guys who we said, you know what, there is no – Lucas Giolito is one who, I mean, even yeah. though we knew some things going into – Tough debate. The top 100 – you know, we we knew more things going in the top hundred than we did 
going into the draft. Because in the draft it was, yeah, he's got an elbow problem. Right, but now he still know. threw 100 miles an hour before he had this right. elbow problem. Right, now we know he's having Tommy John. It's a different story. And Lucas Giolito is at number 67, and he could have ranked a lot higher in our top 100, or he could have not ranked at all, and mm-hmm. both would have been defensible. He's a very tough, uh, tough prospect to rank. Other thing we wanted to point out is that we really did try to keep uh, – I think we did this throughout. If a guy ranked number one on a top 10, that guy was higher than whoever ranked number two. But there might be some disagreements otherwise on our top 100 lists, and that's fine because we have however many different guys write top 10s, uh, Jim Callis and I definitely have input on all those top 10 and all those top 30 lists. Um, but that doesn't mean, again, that we rule this top 100. And this is not Jim Callis's top 100. It's the Baseball America top 100. I, so I, I like our approach. Um, I'm very confident in our approach. We see a lot of these players, but we, do, we don't rely on our eyes. Hashtag not a scout. We rely on input from scouts, coaches, ma- minor league managers throughout the minor leagues, gather this information, and then we put them through – you know, six or seven different people in the office's own uh, way that they rank prospects. And it results in this um, list and in this uh, this compilation. And I, I like the way it turns out. So um, it's a fun process. The top 100 has been uh, a f- has become a better process over the years. I'm very uh, confident and comfortable with our process. And uh, I hope people uh, enjoy it. That's the main thing. I hope people enjoy the work and the prospect talk. And we'll have a lot more of it coming up at BaseballAmerica.com and uh, with the Google Hangouts and with the chat and all the different ways that we bring our perspective uh, over all these different platforms and new media in 2013. So thanks to all of you for listening, for reading, for following us uh, on Twitter at Baseball America, uh, on our Google Plus uh, page and on our Facebook page. Anything else from you, JJ? I think it was time to wrap it up and get the top 100 up. Absolutely. For JJ, I'm John. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.